Turning again tonight to the Word of God as we find it in the Gospel of Matthew and the chapter 6. So on Monday and Wednesday and now again tonight, back in the same passage, Matthew 6, not reading many more verses either. Verse 1, take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Amen. We know the Lord will add His blessing onto the reading of His Word again in our hearing tonight. And as we come to the final night, therefore, in the week of prayer, and we delve back into the passage here to Matthew and the sixth chapter, we're looking again at verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, entered into thy closet, and when thou wast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. We have been talking about that inner chamber, or as our Lord terms it here, the closet. And if you're a visitor and you come to a typical Jewish house, you'll be welcomed in the porch. But above the porch of that Jewish house, typically, there would have been a room of equal size and dimensions to the porch downstairs. And in many cases, we find there in that upper upper room, little chamber, that's where God was waited upon, and God was welcomed in that home. The little room above the porch, known as their closet or the upper chamber. That was the kind of place, and it reminds me of what we read in 2 Kings 4 and verse 10, where that woman in Shunem said about the prophet of God coming along, said to her husband, let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. Exactly the same kind of thing, that second story room where there would be the ascent up. All of this is meaningful, and I believe the picture is extremely appropriate for us. Because what is it saying? If we have the little chamber, the closet over the porch on the second level of the house, it's saying this, above the level of our fellowship with men is communion with God. 
but thy Christ exhorts. In Matthew 6 and 6, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. Get up the stairs, in other words. Get into that upper chamber. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So, in other words, here we are, we're to cut the pride, be humble before him, drop the pretense, we're to stop the performances, and we are in that chamber to apply ourselves to the real business of true prayer. That, in a nutshell, is what our Savior is saying here in Matthew 6 and the verse 6. Very interesting term appears in Psalm 19 and 5 and Joel 2 and 16. We have it repeated. It's a Hebrew word, chupthali. It means a bridal chamber. And if you read there in Psalm 19 and 5, Joel 2 and 16, it is translated as chamber and also as closet. And it's the same place that is in view here. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And I'm thinking, bridal chamber, we as a bride of Christ are going to have communion and fellowship with one who is our blessed and wonderful bridegroom. First thing tonight we're looking at in the main is prayer from the closet. Prayer from the closet. Our Lord underlines the point, and He does it twice here in one verse. Here's your reason for going into the closet. Here's the principal function of this chamber. It's prayer. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray. And so, before he mentions the closet, and after he mentions shutting the door of the closet, he has bookended this. When thou prayest, pray. That is what entrance into the closet is all about. So, we're talking about prayer from the closet here, and we're going to look at the main features of this prayer. The prayer is giving us this import. We're to pray earnestly for something. That's the term prayer that is picked up in our verse tonight in Matthew 6 and 6. But the features of the prayer that is offered, well, we're talking first of all about earnest prayer earnest prayer. Let's take our minds back about 3,000 years ago or so, and we have Mount Carmel, and Mount Carmel is going to be an open-air closet or chamber for one of God's prophets at that time, the prophet Elijah. And some way up that peak on Mount Carmel, he's pleading with Jehovah, we are here today, Lord, that the people around me might know that thou, O Lord, has done this. And to prove that thou hast done it, he then prays, send rain. The prophets have been defeated, those false prophets, and the priests of Baal, and now he's pleading, send rain. Open the closed heavens. And we have Elijah's servant. What a picture we have there. And he's gazing to the distant horizon from the mountaintop that Elijah, his master, is praying on. And then he discerns, after some looking, a speck like a white seal on the rim of the water. That speck rises, it swells out, it's no larger, we're told in the Bible, than a man's hand when it makes its first appearance, but it grows, it gathers, it spreads, it enlarges until it covers the whole dark vault of heaven. 
and now with lightning flashing around them and thunder roaring above them and rain flowing down from the skies and in foaming cascades it's leaping down that hill Carmel down into the valley the first rain for three and a half years appears in answer to the prayers of God's servant and it comes in the form of a real tempest. And so James takes up the picture. And in James chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, he tells us, first of all, in 17 and 18, Elias, Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly. And the word prayer there, the prayer of Elijah, is exactly the word that our Savior used. There are several different words for prayer in the Bible and in the New Testament as well, but the same word that Jesus uses here in Matthew 6 and 6, prayer in the closet, is the same word that James used about Elijah's prayer. He prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, and he prayed again, same word, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. And so what the Lord is saying, pray like Elijah did. When you're in the closet, you have to pray in earnestness before me. And doesn't James underline that need when he says in verse 16 of that chapter, James 5, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If our prayer is going to be effectual, it must be in earnest. And we have examples of this earnestness many, many times in God's Word. For example, we have Elijah that we have just specified. 1 Kings 18, James 5, 16 to 18. We have David in Psalm 63 and 1. He cries, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. And then the terms of earnestness, my soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. In Psalm 69 and 3, David again, I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Mine eyes feel while I wait for my God. Expressions again of his earnestness in prayer. We have the example of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Luke twenty-two forty-four, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. Paul tells us about a fellow laborer in the gospel called Epaphras. Colossians 4 and 12, we read about him. Epaphras, who was one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. And it's Paul's counsel to those believers in Rome at Caesar's seat. Romans 15 and verse 30, he says, I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now, had we broken into, maybe just wandered into one of those prayer meetings that are listed here, these examples in the Bible, we would have been saying, if nothing else, we'd have been coming away convinced, saying, he or she was in earnest. Did you ever hear earnest prayers? Well, if we hadn't before, we have certainly heard them now. Strong praying. Enter into thy closet, close the door, and pray. And when you're praying, let that prayer be in earnest. Another feature of that prayer is it would be enduring. It would be enduring prayer. 
I don't imagine our Lord's disciples would have even fulfilled or come close to fulfilling the command of Matthew 6 and 6 had they just swung open the door of the closet, closed the door behind them, praying for a moment, opened the door, ran out down the stairs, and away we go. Just a few mere seconds. Time had to be given. Patience had to be exercised for this kind of proper communion with heaven. And you and I know time and patience is required. We have proved it. This is not some kind of a grace before a meal, speak it quick before the dinner gets whole cold kind of prayer. This is a prayer where time is expended, where patience and endurance is shown. And again, back to Elijah and his servant on Mount Carmel. The cloud then didn't appear after the first petition or the second or the third, but after the seventh time. And Elijah had to endure in prayer before the effectiveness of that prayer was seen. Now, again, again in Scripture, we find this point emphasized, enduring prayer. Luke 6 and 12, one example, it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray. Our Lord doesn't set tasks without fulfilling them himself. He leads from the front. He's the supreme example. He went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God, time and patience. In Acts 1 and 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplications. They were in an upper room at that time. Ephesians 6 and verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching their own tomb with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then that very short text that we have in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, pray without ceasing. Time and patience are required. And the illustration that we have in Luke 11, the verse 5 to 8, where the friend comes at midnight, says, Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine. On a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't rise and give them. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. The time that he expended, the energy that he expended, the endurance he kept on knocking because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Now, that's what real prayer is all about. Know your need. This man did. Plead that need, not only vigorously, but repeatedly, until the favorable answer comes and that need is met. Pray through to the conclusion of the matter. How often do we fall short here? So we're talking about earnest prayer. We're talking about enduring prayer. And we have to be talking about expectant prayer because if we don't enter that closet in faith, we are wasting our time. When we go behind the door, if we are convinced, you know what? Nothing's going to happen here. Nothing's going to change as a result of this session spent in the closet. Then time spent in the closet is of no advantage to anybody. But when we go into that closet, we must be possessed by that confidence that this is the place where things happen. I read the world seeks victory by trying to get back at its feet. 
the Christian by getting down on his knees. You'll remember what it says in Hebrews 11 and 6. Here's the only attitude allowed inside the closet. This is the attitude that must prevail between us as we come to this God of grace, but without faith. It is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and believe that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So we come in earnest prayer. We come in enduring prayer. We come in expectant prayer within that closet as well. That's the features of the prayer that is offered. Look at the Father to whom the prayer is offered, because in Matthew 6 and 6 we're instructed, but thou when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father. I am not knocking on the door of some enemy. I am not coming to some reluctant or some ill-disposed or niggardly friend. Somebody who doesn't want to give me anything. Although Christ pictured these incidents here of the man who knocks up his friend at midnight that we've just mentioned, and then the friend, but reluctantly, he does finally open the door and he gives him the bread, and he talks about as well, our Lord, the woman who got justice out of the unjust judge, and he more or less says she wore him down by her continual coming the judge was saying, she's going to weary me, so I'll just give her what she wants. Get her out of my sight. Get the job done and have her back and away from me. That's in Luke 18 in verse 1 to 7. But our Lord, though He tells these stories about these incidents, He's not teaching us that God is reluctant to bless us, needs His arm prized up His back before He gives. What He's saying is this, if even these people the sleeper, the judge, will get up and give. That sleeping friend at midnight, that unjust judge who fears neither God nor man, if even these will give, how much more will He who is your heavenly Father give you everything that you need? Remember Luke 11, the verse 13 puts it into its proper perspective when it says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And then somebody will say, Well, you know, there's a problem here. And it's a pretty obvious problem. If God is so anxious to bless us, if He really does want to give us of His mercy, why doesn't He just get on with it and do it? Now, that's looking, of course, very simplistically at everything and very carnally as well. Not a case of God dangling a carrot in front of us, and every time we take one step forward towards the carrot, He takes two back, and He kind of smiles and smirks and repeats the process. That is not the case at all. The fact of the matter is, God is always more anxious to give than we ever are to receive. But He will not shower the blessings of heaven upon those who don't really want them, upon those who don't admit their need of Him or trust Him for them, or He'll not give them to those who are not willing to pay the price and spend the time in the closet before Him. He'll not give them to those who don't acknowledge Him as the giver 
and praise Him for all that He gives. He'll not give it to those who want to have sin reigning within them and still have His blessing. He'll not be giving it to those who don't pray in the way that we mentioned here with earnestness, expectancy, and endurance as well. We have no doubt God has purposed everything in eternity past, but He's determined that by praying, we're pulling the trigger on His purpose and bringing it into performance for our blessing. We have a tremendous example of that in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 21 to 36. God had piled up promises to the nation of Israel, mountains of them about restoration, about revival, everything you would want to hear. And He gave the prophet a graphic illustration of what he could do in the very next chapter, Ezekiel 37. Can these bones live? Took him into the valley of dry bones, raised up an army in front of his face. Yet, he was saying, with all these promises piled up into mountainous heaps, I make my purpose and my promise dependent on the prayers of my people. That should humble us and stir us up to more prayer. Ezekiel 36 and the verse 37, Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase him with men like a flock. I love the quote from Martin Luther when he said, prayer is a powerful thing. For, here's why it's powerful, not because of the prayer. For God has bound and tied himself thereto. Another quote from an old Puritan preacher, John Trapp, Bible commentator as well. God never denied that soul anything that went as far as heaven to ask it. Lord, I have come to your breadbasket, to your treasure store. I have come in answer to your plan and purpose, and I'm pulling the lever of your promise by prayer. And that soul will never be denied. His purpose, his desire is to flood us with this blessing. Our place and responsibility is to get into the closet, close the door, and pray earnestly. So we have the prayer from the closet. We have as well the perception within the closet. There's an emphasis here in what we read in Matthew 6 and 6 upon the perception we need. How we need to seek God. We are told, pray to thy Father, which is in secret. Our Father is in secret, which simply means He doesn't reveal Himself to all men. I read in Scripture, and you read as well, of those whose eyes were blinded. They were saying the same thing as those whose eyes God had opened, but they couldn't see it, understand it, perceive it. I read in Scripture, as you do, of those who have eyes, but they see not. And I see people like that on every side of me today. God has not revealed Himself to them. They don't know Him. God does reveal Himself to His people in the secret place, in the closet, in the place of communion. 
be it Moses on the mount, be it Elijah in the cave, be it Peter, James, and John on the mount of transfiguration, be it those disciples gathered together in that upper room. Remember the interaction between our Lord and Philip. In John 14, 8 and 9, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father. And it sufficeth us, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then? Show us the Father. Our need is to seek God, see God, see the Father who is in secret. How will I see him? I will see him in the face of Jesus Christ. That's where I see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 4 and the verse 6. John 1 and 18 also assures us, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Now, since Jesus Christ reveals the Godhead to me, I should be making a very diligent and constant study of Jesus' person and Jesus' work. I should be taking seriously what I'm told in Hebrews 12 and 1, looking on to Jesus. In Hebrews 3 and 1, consider Him. And yet I find myself so often gazing in this direction, that direction, some other direction, focusing my eyes on some other thing. I need to get the book down not treated as a mere collection of interesting or otherwise stories or a whole gathering together of facts, but treasure it as a portrait gallery of my Master, where on every page I can see something fresh of Him, something that brings His grace, something that brings His glory near to my sight and fills my heart. To see Him, we need to seek Him. Reading a story about Dr. Alexander White, famous preacher over a hundred years ago in Free St. George's in Edinburgh. And whether he went out to one of the mountains, which is about, well, maybe an hour and a half's drive away from Edinburgh, or whether he could see it from the vantage point that he was there in Edinburgh. But he tells a story, and here's what he says Last week I became very miserable as I saw my time slipping away and my vow not performed. Therefore, one afternoon, I got into my coat and hat and took my staff and slipped out of the house in secret. For two hours, I walked alone and prayed. But, pray as I would, I got not one step nearer God. All those miles... My guilty conscience mocked me to my face and said to me, Is it any wonder that God has cast off a minister and a father like you? For two hours I struggled on, forsaken of God, and met neither God nor man all that chilly afternoon, when at last, standing still, and he was looking at that mountain, clothed, he said, in white from top to bottom, this word from David shot up into my heart, Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And then, he says, in a moment, I was with God. Or rather, God, as I believe, was with me. 
till I walked home under the rising moon with my head, waters and my heart in a flame of prayer, naming and describing first my own children to God and then yours. Alexander White said, two hours is a long time to steal away from your books and companions, to swing your walking stick, and to utter unavailing ejaculations in prayer down some wintry glen. But then my two hours looked to me now as they tasted to me then the best strength and the best sweetness of all my Christmas holiday. Pray to thy Father, which is in secret. See him in the secret place. Meet with him there. Feast our eyes upon him to be conscious as Simeon was in the temple where we can say, Mine eyes have seen thy salvation. So there's an emphasis. Also, not only in our need to search out God, but there's an emphasis here on our need to be searched out by God. Because you read again in Matthew 6 and 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. In other words, seeing in secret as he does, he knows absolutely everything about us. We can bluff others. We could never bluff him. Adam tried and failed. Genesis 3, 8 to 11. So did Cain. Genesis 4 and 10, as did Hagar in Genesis 16 and 7 and 13, thy God seest me, as did David, and he testifies in Psalm 139, verse 11 and 12, 15 and 16 as well. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the light shineth as the day. Again, all are saying, Thy God seest me. Do we need further proof of that? Well, we'll get it in Psalm 11 and 4. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. Proverbs 15 and 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Amos 9 and verse 8, behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. 1 Peter 3 and verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. I'm in his closet. I have shut the door. I am communing with him. I am dealing with my Father that is in secret, and my Father seeing in secret. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. Get the doors shut to get God's eyes open and God's ears open as we pray. Search me, O God. My actions try. Let my life appear as seen by thine all-searching eye. To me my ways make clear. The prayer from the closet. The perception within the closet. And quickly and finally the provision outside the closet. Because this secret, this sincere prayer is followed by what? Blessing. Matthew 6 and verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret, what will happen? Shall reward thee openly. Openly. You're closed up in the closet, but he's going to do something outside. 
He will reward thee openly. Greek word here, tamion. Word used for a storeroom where treasure is kept. And I'm thinking instinctively of Malachi 3 and 10. Tremendous promise there, so appropriate in the context. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, the place where you're doing business with God, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it, to get the blessing. It'll fill the closet, but it'll overflow the closet. Because God will reward us openly. Blessing is promised in response to prayer. There's a secret reward to prayer, of course there is, inside the closet. Our spiritual fiber is being strengthened by abiding in the mountaintop of prayer. We have a refreshing effect from having communion with God, and our souls are rejuvenated. There is the inward work that is done. But it's the open reward that our text is majoring on here. Thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. How will that reward come? In the salvation of sinners? In the strengthening of saints? Who in the family? Who in the congregation? Who in the city? Is going to be surprised by the arrival of some blessing in this winter term simply because we entered into the closet, shut the door, and prayed for them. Who was going to be surprised at the arrival of some unexpected providence, at some long despaired of deliverance, of some heavy cross being suddenly lifted off their back, at some thorn being pulled out of their flesh, at some mercy they hardly had the faith to ask for themselves, Who's going to be surprised by that? All because you asked, you importuned, you shut your door upon the world to pray for them. To have a friend in this cold and lonely world, to have a friend is to have something worth having. But to have a friend who has the ear of God and who fills God's ear with your name and your case what a friend to have. We read in Proverbs 31 and 10 about the virtuous woman. Her price is far above rubies, we're told. But I tell you what, the faithful intercessor who gets into his closet, shuts the door, and prays unto the Father that sees in secret who was going to reward openly that faithful intercessor, their price is way, way above rubies above all the precious stones that could ever be mined out of this earth. Will anybody find that kind of friend in us?